All right, Kavaldik, we are, today's daf is daf Yod Zayin, page 17, and we will restart the Mishnah on the bottom of 16b, on the bottom of Tes Zayin, Omod Beis. Okay, we're up to Halacha Beis Mishnah, and we learned in the beginning of the Perak that there were 13 locations in the Beis HaMikdash where there would be Hishtach where people would bow down, and we mentioned that there were two families in particular that would have a 14th bow, there was a 14th location that they would bow in because they had a Messiah, that that was the place that the Aron was hidden in. It's going to be a fascinating daf today. As we get towards, uh, as we move along in the daf, we are going to get into some fascinating Agatha Gemaras concerning the times of Mashiach, what the world's going to look like, the bracha that we're going to have. All right, let's get going. Here we go. Zok the Mishnah. These 13 times where everybody bowed down, where was it? Says the Gemara. Arba B'tzafim, four times in the northern side of the Chatzir, the courtyard of Abba B'darim, four locations in the southern side of the courtyard. Sholesh B'mezrach, three to the east, Shtayim B'marav, two to the west. Says the Mishnah Vaiter. Kin Neged Shleish so you have four plus four plus three plus two. You got 13, um, 13 locations uh, and this was connected the 13 gates, the 13 openings that were in the courtyard. Anytime somebody walked by an opening, they would bow down. Okay? Now, why would they bow down? They would bow down just out of absolute awe as to what the Beis HaMikdash was. The Raimiyim Smuchim Lamar. The southern gates uh, were, were, we will call it southwest. So the southern gate is closest to the west, Sharha Elyon. These were the names of each gate. They were called the Sharha Elyon, the Sharha Delek, Sharha Bechayrais, Sharha Mayim. The Lama Nikra Shmai Sharha Mayim. Interestingly, the first ones, we don't ask why it's called that, right? It must be the upper one is because it was in the upper one. The other, the, the Sharha Delek was where they would light the, they would get the wood to light the Mizbeach. So it's called the Delek, the, can, the kindling one. Shar HaBechairis, then there was the, the Shar HaBechairis, the gates of the firstborn, and that was because anybody who had a firstborn would bring their carbon over there. And the Shar HaMayim, says the Mishnah, why is that called Shar HaMayim? There they would bring Seluchis, which is kind of like a bowl, Shal Nisuch HaMayim Bechag, of the Nisuch HaMayim on Sukkis. That was like the primary use of that entrance, and they would carry it through that entrance. That was called the Shara Mayim because the water would run and um, eventually when Mashiach comes, this is going to be the water that goes from the Kaidash HaKadoshim throughout the entire Beis HaMikdash, as we're going to see some of the miracles that we can look forward to. Bezaz Hashem will have the schus of seeing these miracles tonight. And opposite the, the north ones, Smuchim Lamarav, near the west, was called Shar Yechonya. The gates of Yechonya, Shar HaKarbon, the gates of the Karbonis. This is where the Karbonis were brought to be shechted. Shar HaNoshim, the Shar HaNoshim, this led to the Ezra's Noshim, Shar HaShir, 
the, the gate of the singing, okay, that there was a special unique uh, entranceway that all the instruments for the Levium were brought. The Lama Nikrashmai Shar Yechanya, why was the, the original gate in the northwest side called the Shar Yechanya, Shabbat Yatsa Yechanya Begalusai, because this was the gate that Yechanya walked through on his way into Galus. He was the king and he was let off from the courtyard of the Beis Hamikdash through that entrance. Sheba Mizrach, on the eastern side, you had Sharhan Niknar. You had the famous Niknar gates, right? These were the big fancy gates that um, were, uh, uh, were, that Niknar wanted to save. And Niknar, ultimately, they threw the, the door overboard. And Niknar decided that even though he lost this door, uh, at the when he finally got there, he miraculously got it back. He miraculously found it. Pash Pash Hayulay, and this Shar Niknar had two had two Pishpishin, which were smaller entranceways. Echad miyaminoi veechad miysmaylay, one to the right and one to the left. and there was an additional two gates to the west. And they didn't have any particular name. Okay, they were general gates. They weren't meant. They weren't known for any particular cause. And Mamela, when people passed by each gate, they had all this representation and the beauty of the Beis Hamikdash. They would bow down as they passed each entrance. Here we go. Says the Gemara. Our Mishnah is the individual opinion. Of Rabbi Yosef ben Yechon Yedamar, he says, He says that there were 13 bowings for the 13 openings in the courtyard. However, the Rabbanon hold that there were only seven openings in the courtyard. So one second. According, according to Abba Yosef ben Yechonon, all right, so you had 13 gates, there were 13 bowings, you bowed by each gate. But according to De Rabbonan, that there were only seven that there were only seven gates. So why did they bow down thirteen times? And if they did, where was it? And for the Gemara, the Gemara answers: like we learned in Mishnah elsewhere, there were thirteen peritzais. There were thirteen openings that were breached. By the Greek malachim, the Greek kings, and by the story of Hanukkah, we were able to rebuild it, make a regather it, make a new fence. And that's why. So, in these 13 locations where the walls had been broken, and ultimately we were able to fix them up, so to remember the miracle of Akadish Baruch Hu protecting us and giving success. To the Chashmainam, so, so those were the 13 locations. Again, seven gates, but there were 13 places that were breached. So by each location that was breached and then fixed up, we would bow out of gratitude. Says the Gemara. Ksiv. It says in the Pasuk in Zechariah, it's going to be in the times of Mashiach, in the future. May it be today. There's going to be a spring of water that comes from Yerushalayim, from Tani. We learned in the It's going to start from the Kaidesh HaKadoshim and go until the Pereiches, like the horns 
of Silai and Kilai. Now, Silai and Kilai, the Tikkun Chadatin says, it's, it's kind of like a, um, a snail. Starts off slow and it gets a little faster. And then, when he, once he gets to the Pareiches, told them his Beach, it's going to get a little stronger, like the horns of Chagavim, of grasshoppers. From the Golden Mizbeach, from the Golden Mizbeach until the courtyard, it's going to grow, um, it's going to be like a string of Shesi, which is uh, some sort of Shesi uh, Ve'erev, right? It's, uh, it's the um, weaving process where you go back and forth in different, uh, in different directions. It's known as Shesi Ve'erev. It's going to end up being like a string of an Erev, which is a wider type of string than one that you'll find, which is used for Shesi and Erev. So it's a, more of a rope. And from afterwards, it goes from like the lip, the opening of a pach, the opening of a jug. As it moves along, so it starts off very slow, like a trickle, and as it moves throughout the base of Mikdash, it gets stronger and stronger. And this is going to be a stream that miraculously springs forth once uh, the third base Hamikdash is rebuilt. See if it says, The water's going from the right side. A man goes to the east, he's going to be holding a kav in his hand. And it's going to be midos, it's going to be measured at a thousand amos. And he crossed the water, which is ankle deep. Ad Karsula, and it's going to go until the ankles, okay? That's what it means, that the water, that, that's how deep, it went a thousand amas, and it was ankle deep for the thousand amas. He went another thousand, he led me across the waters that now were knee deep. Ad Berchaya, till the knees. Then you keep moving on, it gets deeper, that's until the Mesnaya, the loins, Mikan Ve'elach, from after that, Vayomad Nachal, Asher loy uchal lavar was another thousand, and that was so deep, um, I couldn't cross it. I feel a big ship can't even cross it. My timer, why not? Because it says in the pasuk that nothing's going to be allowed to cross it, even a tzi adir, a strong boat. ma, why? Ki hamayim mei shachu. Because the because of the um, the strength of the current, it's going to be impossible to control uh, anything that goes across that depths of water. It means miloshut. Nothing is going to be able to be to, to be loshut. Nothing is going to be able to control. You're not going to be able to swim across it. Amr of Huna of Huna says, "Ba'asrin karu lashtaya shachvana." When swimming is called shachvana. Okay, fine. So that's how it goes in uh, Aramaic. Peiras um, Yodav, the Pesach says, he's going to stretch out his hand, referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kasher Yifaris HaSeichelish. So again, we're discussing the times of Mashiach, what things are going to look like. HaKadosh Baruch is going to stretch out his hand the same way somebody swimming, a swimmer stretches out his hands when he swims. Ma Lishchais, Mahu Lishchais, what does it mean, Lishchais? Amr Rabbi Yesi Be'Rabbun, Mayin, it's referring to water, demismalalin ba'alma, that everybody's talking about. Okay? It's the type of water 
that everybody is talking about. Nobody is going to be able to, you know, there's going to be like, like they have the, the wonders of the world, right? There's going to be the wonder of the world. Everybody's going to be like just looking at this and being like, wow. And again, where did all this power start from? A little trickle from the Kaidish HaKadoshim. Your mama see how Kedusha works. A little bit of Kedusha. A little bit. The Kaidish HaKadoshim is the, it's a little hidden away room. But it's private. It's the holiest. It's the generator of all Kedusha. To, not, not only to the entire world, but to eternity. To the times of Mashiach. A little bit of Kedusha. Mama just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Ksiv, it says, On that day there's going to bring a makar, a spring that's going to open up for base of the Yerushalayim, the chatos venida, for those who live in Yerushalayim, for the chatos and the nida. What does that mean? Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman, B'Shem Rabbi Yainasan, Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman says, in the name of Rabbi Yainasan, it means, me base David, v'ad Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, from the house of David, until the Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, kesherim lenida ulechatos, at, in those locations, the water is still going to be a kosher mikvah for anybody who has to purify themselves. Okay, now uh, Har Tzion is just outside Yerushalayim, so it's Mibes David va'ad Yisraelitzion. So this is talking about Har Tzion. But afterwards, this is considered both tap water and spring water. And that type of mikvah is going to be kosher for Anida, but it's not going to be kosher. It's not going to be a kosher mikvah for, um, for May Chatos, for the Chatos waters. Now, what's the Chatos waters? These were the waters that were mixed with the ashes of the Paraduma in order to purify people. All right? Amr of says, Me based David of Yeshu Shlaim, from the base David of Yeshu Shlaim, Kshem Lenidul Chatos. From there, it's kosher. Mikan Ve'ilach. Then it's called water that's going down a hill. And it's not fit for nida and for chatas, okay? Because it's considered like it's already directed and it's not it's not uh, uh, natural water. It says these water going to go to the galils. This is referring to the samchusi, okay? This is referring to the Samchu Sea. Apparently, the Sea of Samchu is near Tiberia. Right? It's, a, it's not the Kinneret. It's a smaller sea that's near Tiberia, near the Kinneret. Bayardu al Ha'arava, and the water goes down to the Arvos, to the plains. Zay Yom Tiberia. That's referring to the Sea of Tiberia. What's the Sea of Tiberia? What we know as the Kinneret, right? That's the, the river of the Kinneret River. And it will keep flowing down to the Yam, Zeyamamelech. Referring to the Yamamelech, the Dead Sea, as we know it, which is now towards the southern side of Eretzel. The Tiberias towards the north, okay? As you get to the Yamamelech, you're moving down south. And then eventually it reaches the Mayim Hamutsam, Zeyamagadol. This is referring to the Mediterranean. Why is it called Mutsam? Because the two times that it went out of its regular borders, its regular boundaries, one time in the generation of Enosh, that they started to serve Avaida Zara, and uh, the river flooded, the Echad Badara Flaga, 
and ultimately also by the Dara Flaga, the generation that wanted to build a tower and fight against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, so that was another time that the Mediterranean Sea overflowed, and we call it Mutsa'im, from the word Yatsa, it left its natural borders. Rebbe Lazar b'shem Reb Chanina. Rebbe Lazar says the name Reb Chanina b'rishayne yotza ad Calabria during the first time that the Mediterranean over, uh, flooded and overflowed. It went until Calabria. Okay, Calabria apparently is is uh, much lower down than Eretz Yisrael. And uh, in the footnote of the art scroll, when I was looking this over, what this is. They say that it's somewhere in the Italian peninsula. And the second time by the Darha Flaga, so it overflowed until the, the uh, Pife Barbaria, which is somewhere near northern Africa. No, it's opposite. The first time it wasn't by the Italian peninsula, it was by the northern Africa. The second time it reached... Akko and Yafo. These are both cities that are to the west, a little north and to the west of Eretz Yisrael. They're right on the Mediterranean itself. Okay? It says you sh- the water should go here and stop. It should be read. Okay? So instead of saying that it went to the Italian peninsula or northern Africa, it flooded either, and uh, the other opinion is, says Rav Acha B'Shem Rabbi Hanina, that it flooded until Akko <coughs> and Yafo. Okay. Nicha Yama Rabbah In the times of Mashiach, when we have this stream that's going to start very slowly from the Kaidish HaKadosh and end up being this miraculously strong water that nothing can cross. So, it's go in Nicha Yama Rabbah It makes sense that it's going to reach the big sea, the Mediterranean, and the Yamamelech. Why? Why does that make sense? Bishvilamaskan. In order to take to be to make the water matuk, to make the water sweet. Yama de Tveria, Yama de Samchai. But what about the Yam of Tveria and Samchai? Why does that water need to flow also to the Mediterranean and to the Yam HaMelech? If you're going to tell me there's a natural spring and there's something unique to the Yam HaGadol, the Mediterranean, and the Yam HaMelech, Mamish makes the taste of the water fest. And Gishmak, okay. But these other lakes, they're regular, uh, they have regular tasting water. Apparently, they don't need any change in their recipe. So why did they need to flow to these areas? So Gemara says, You know why they flowed there? To, gra- to grab more fish. Um, to its minim, to, to, to the species, there will be fish, which means there's going to be many, many different types of fish in these lakes. These lakes, right now, the Kinaret and the Samchu, so they don't have particular uh, vastness of different types of fish that can be received from these lakes. And therefore, in the times of Shia, when they all start flowing, and in, uh, in this unbelievable circle of a cycle of water, so the fish is going to be able to, to keep filling up, and they'll have all different sorts of species in these in these lakes, the Kinneret and the Samchu, that until the times of Mashiach did not exist. Tony, we learned in a Brisa, Omer of Shimon Gamliel, Shimon Gamliel says, Maisa Shalachti Lutzai. The one time I went to Tzidon, 
They serve me 300 types of fish in one course. Yeah, all together. Which means that you, you could have places that have so many fascinating different types of fish. And the waters became healed. With the choice of the different ponds and its gavias and and uh, pools, and they won't be sweet. Rather, they will be salty. It says the waters will be healed. But then at the end, it says it's not going to be healed. Healed means be, to become sweet. So which one is it? The two sides of the pasuk seem to contradict. So the Gemara says no. The waters are going to become sweet. However, this that it says is referring to a place that it will um, um, that it will not flow to. Okay, and apparently because we need some areas. You know, think about it. Even the Dead Sea, the Yamamelech is going to be sweetened. Right? It's going to end up. The Yamamelech is going to end up with sweet water. It's not going to be Yamamelech anymore. But Apparently, it's important to have salty water, salty bodies of water. And this place, this lake is going to remain salty in order to, I guess, balance out the taste of all the other lakes. It says, On the Nachal, on the river, you're going to have on its lip from here and there any type of fruit that grows from a tree. And their olim, their leaves, will not wither. And it's always going to have new fruits each month. Okay? Now we're going to talk about the miracles in the times of Mashiach of these trees in Eretz Yisrael. Now, right now, everything we have is seasonal. Okay? Some things produce their crop twice a year. Some things produce their crop once a year. You don't have things, we don't have things that produce crop the entire year. Okay? Things work in seasons. Says the Gemara. Listen to this. Tani. We learned in a Brisa. Omar Rebuda. Rebuda says, In this world, grain takes six months to grow. And trees take 12 months. Okay? So trees are harvested once a year. Grains are harvested twice a year. But in the times of Mashiach, there's going to be a new harvest every single month. And there's going to be a new harvest of fruit every two months. My time, by its months, it will have new fruits. Okay? So you have an interesting word. It doesn't say, it says, it's months. So you're going to learn from here that every two months is going to be fruit. And now we're making an assumption. This is an assumption. If fruit is going to take two months, and currently, when fruit takes 12 months, grain takes half of the time, six months. So we're assuming that in the times of Mashiach, the Pesach tells me fruit trees will be two months. We're going to make an assumption grains will still be half the time. And it'll only take one month. Okay, so the just... Just to clarify, this Pasuk is only explicitly saying that fruits will be every two months. We're assuming that by fruit being two months, grains will be one month. The same way that nowadays it takes half the time. 
Nowadays, Tavua grain is harvested every six months. And trees are harvested every 12 months. Allah's love in the future. Tavua is going to be every 15 days. You hear this? It's not going to be two months and one month. It's going to be 15 days in a month. We find days of Yael. It took 15 days for the grain to grow of a carbon oimer. And that's how they got. The, that they were makriv, the carbon oimer, from that miracle. Okay? Lost the place, I'm sorry. My, my timer. What's the reason for what we just said? Where do we get this from? Because it says, should rejoice and be happy. And he brought down for you rain, both the earlier rains, the later grains, the later rain, and it was all done inside of the first month. Okay? Now, in the times of Yael, there was a drought, and um, the Oilam did tshuva, they davened, and ultimately the grain ended up growing and during the month of Nisan, and it was able to be harvested in time for the Karban which was the 16th day of Nisan. Hence, you see that if, that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed things after the drought to start growing Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and it was fit for the Oymer 16 days later, you see that you can have grain that grows in 15 days. Beautiful. But one second, if grain is going to take every 15 days, so what does it mean, that fruits are going to take two months? I thought fruit only takes double. So if grains take 15 days, fruit should take one week, uh, one month. What's the vart in chadashov, which is the plural months? Our answer is, every month there'll be new crops. doesn't mean it's going to take two months to grow. It means every month, chadashov, multiple months, and every month there'll be new fruit. And we said, and the, the olim, the leaves are going to be lesrufa for healing. What does that mean? Rabbi Yechonam, Rabbi Yechonam says, Tarpe useraf In the times of Mashiach, you know how things are going to work. You're going to be, when you, when you, um, on your mitzitz, when you suck on a leaf, that's going to be the fruit Okay, that's going to be the fruit. A person's going to receive nutrition, usraf, and the uh, and the roots of the tree are also going to be food. The entire tree is going to become edible. It's going to become nutrition. Rabu Shmuel, Rab and Shmuel argue. Chad Omer once says lahater peshalamalon that the leaf will be able to be matir peh. What does it mean matir peh? To reopen somebody's mouth, meaning if a person ever becomes nauseous and you need to get them to eat, if they suck on a leaf, it'll give them an appetite. That's going to be the powers of the leaf. Another one's going to talk about the lower mouth. What's the upper mouth? What we eat from. The lower mouth over here is referring to the bottom of the digestive system, the rectum. Yeah, and over there it's going to say that the, the leaves, the eating of the leaves are going to be very good in the times of Mashiach for healing a person's digestive system so there's no diarrhea or constipation and making sure everything 
flows through properly. One says it's going to, if you suck on the leaves of the trees, a woman who's barren will be able to have children. Another one says that it's going to allow people to begin talking. Somebody who's an elim, a person who is, uh, who's not able to talk, is a mute, will be healed through sucking on a leaf. What else did we say? So we said in the Mishnah that We said that there were, oh, there were gates in the northern side of the courtyard where people would bow down. Okay? This was the first opinion, the 13 bowings. Says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. Very interesting Zach. And now we're going to uh, shift a little bit from the greatness of the covering of Mashiach to a little bit of the Tsaris, the difficulties that happen that unfortunately are causing us to wait for Mashiach. That, that uh, some of the Tsaris that took place in the times of the Pesamikdash being destroyed. Says the Gemara. We find that when Nebuchadnezzar came there, he, he camped himself at the entrance of Antuchia. Okay, this is near Syria. And the Sanhedrin, the Rachachamim, went out to greet him, to talk to him, okay, to Nebuchadnezzar. Are you stationing yourself here because you plan on destroying our Beis HaMikdash? Omar Lohen, Nebuchadnezzar says, The one who is in charge of you, your leader, please send him to me and I will leave. That's all I want. I want your king. So they came to Yehayachin, the king of Yehuda. Nebuchadnezzar wants you. He heard. He took the keys of the Beis HaMikdash. He went up to the roof of the Hechel and Amar Lefanov and he davened. And he said, In the past, we had a moon on you. We trusted you. And when we trusted in you, you trusted us with the keys to your house. But nowadays that Kla Yisrael does not have a moon. We got to give you back your keys. You don't trust us anymore in your base. We don't, believe, we, have, we don't have free entrance into your house. We're not, we're not to be trusted. There's a discussion between two Amairam. Chad Omar, one Amaira says, Zrakon, that Yehoyachim threw the keys up in the air after making this statement. yardu, and those keys are still on their way up. Okay? The Chad Omar, and the other opinion is, Ba'ok Minyad, a hand actually came down. Something that looked like a hand. Una talasan miyadai. And grabbed it away from him. Kivon Sherau called top of Amadez, Chayre Yehuda came. When all the leaders of Yehuda saw this conversation between Yachim and what happened with the keys, they all went up to their roofs 
and they jumped and they died. And this is what it means in the Pasuk when it says, Matzah, those who carry, where are all these people who had, um, who were part of the prophecy? Eifai, where are they? Hialisa kulach legaga. They all went up on the roofs. Teshuais malaya ir haimaya. And this is now a city that does not have that is haimaya. Haimaya is um, um, what's the proper translation for haimaya? Uh, there's there's no calmness. There's no calmness. There's uh, it's confused. It's turned over. There's a turmoil going on. Okay? And uh, this was a chilek of the beginning of the destruction from Nebuchadnezzar of the Beis HaMikdash. Okay? End of that Mishnah. Halavai, we could have more time to discuss what all these Gemaras mean. It's Kedai to read through and, and you know understand each thing a little bit deeper. But unfortunately, we're still suffering from that time. And Be'ez Hashem, hopefully it'll be in a few minutes with uh, the coming of Mashiach. We'll be able to be zeichet to see that beautiful spring that we just learned about start to spring forth from the Kaidish HaKadoshim. All right. Halacha Gimel Zokt, the Mishnah. Let's go, Vaiter. Here we go. Let's keep learning. There were 13 tables in the base. Eight of them were made out of marbles. Out of marble, not marbles. They were made from marble. And they were in the base. Okay, that's where they would shech the animals, cut up the animals. What's basically literally is the house of butchering. The butchering area of the base. Hamikdash had eight marble uh, uh, flat tables. And they would wash the insides of the animals. Two tables were on the west side of the Mizbeach. One was stone and one was silver. On the stone one, they put the limbs, which were going to end up being burnt on the Mizbeach. And on the silver one, they placed the Kli Sharis. Now bear in mind, stone is going to keep meat fresher than metal. Okay? So the klisharis would went onto the metal, but the limbs went onto the stone. Ushnayim, ushnayim al pesach and there were two tables uh, in the ulam in the large hall near the opening of the base of mikdash. Echad shal shayish, echad shal zav. One from stone, one of marble, one of gold. Al shayish noisim lechem aponim bechnisasay. The stone one had the lechem aponim. When it was uh, fresh, when it was starting and being brought in, and it was placed on the golden one where they would remove the lechem upon him to insert the new ones. We go up in Kedusha and we are not myrid in Kedusha. Okay? And therefore, even though stone can keep things fresher than metal, however, Metal is more valuable than stone. And therefore, if you're going to move it from one table to the other, you'd move it from the less expensive table to the more expensive table. Hence, it started out on the stone, on the marble, and it moved up to gold. And then there was one table of gold inside, 
and that's where the lechem aponim stayed on, right? So it started out on stone, it moved to gold, it wasn't able to be put back onto the stone. When we took it out, it went back out to a golden table. Beautiful. Okay. That is the Mishnah. Let's get into the Gemara. Tony, we learned. Al Shel Kesef. Now, we learned that the Lechem Aponim was placed initially on a silver table. Okay? Now, this is not like our Mishnah. Our Mishnah just said Lechem Aponim was first put on a Shayish, on a stone marble table, and then moved to the gold. And we have a Bryce that says it actually started out on a silver table. Some say it was Rabbi Yaisi quoting Rav Shmuel Bar Rabbi Yitzchak, and some say it was Rabbi Chan, and Rabbi Chananya would quote Rabbi Yechonah. Less can shall kesef. That this brisa which says that were, were initially on silver doesn't mean silver. It's not possible. Because if it would have been put on a silver table, silver is not good for the bread and it would cause it to spoil. Says the Gemara, like ain't Tony. But didn't we learn in a The same way, was put in hot. It stayed hot. It was a miracle. So what's the difference with what type of table you put it on? It always stayed warm. It always stayed fresh. It was a miracle. So it's machnish dice. Yeah, so why do you got to put on a stone table started out on silver? It's not going to spoil anyway. And for the Gemara, no. You know why? Rabbi Shub and Levi Yomar, even though it's a miracle, guess what? Our entire lives are miracle. But still, you got to pretend like we're working with the nature. And therefore, a maskira maizanisim. If nature dictates... It's going to be a miracle. But if nature dictates that it's going to keep the bread fresher by keeping it on a stone table, that's what we're going to be obligated to do. Be obligated to follow Teva even when you know Hashem's running everything above nature. All right, here we go. Brand new Shiloh. Bon Kameh, Bon Kumi, Rebbe Ila. They got up and asked a question from Rebbe Ila. Lo Yehoya. Shom lechem. If let's say there was no bread, okay. What do you do about the about the lechem aponim of the previous week? Okay. Now here's how it works. Lechem aponim was kept there from Shabbos till Shabbos, and it was only removed when the new breads were put on. What happens if I have a lechem aponim and there's no for whatever reason there's no new bread to stick in? Do I just keep the older bread there for an additional week? That was the shayla. Omar loin. So he says to them, Ksiv v'nasata l'shochet lechem aponim l'fanai tomid lechem aponim afilu posel. That yeah, it's got to stay there afilu posel. Even if it is posel. Okay? And therefore, if there's no new bread to keep there, Yitaka would keep it in that area. Asara shochonei sasa shlomei. Shlomei melech put 10 tables inside the base of Mikdash. Tachsiv ayah shochonei sasara he made ten tables, and he placed into the hechol chamisha miyamin v'chamisha mesmael five on the right, five on the left. Ain tamar chamisha bedar v'chamisha b'tzaf. And how do you know that it was? Uh, uh, sorry, it was put to the left and to the right. Now, left and right is not a particular direction. Says the Gemara. If you're going to say that he put five to the south and five to the north, and that's what it means, left and right. It means south and north. We know the shulchan, the, the shulchan 
had to be placed in the northern side. What it means is the main table, the main shulchan of the Beis Hamikdash, Shlomo Melech went and added five more tables, ten more tables total to that. Five to the left of the shulchan of the Beis Hamikdash and five to the right. And still, even though there were so many tables there, the Lechem Avonim were always placed on the main shulchan, the main table of Maishra Rabbeinu Shnamar, as it says, The table that the Lechem Avonim was put on, what is the table? That is the original table, the main table of Maishra Rabbeinu. Rabbi Yaisi Rabbi Yudah Aymer, but Rabbi Yaisi Rabbi Yudah says, Al-Kulon that actually the Lechem Aponim was not necessarily always put on the table of Maisha Rabbeinu. It could be put on other tables as well. On all of them they were permitted to be set up. And on the tables and upon them was the Lechem Aponim. This ends uh, that topic of, of uh, the exact... Uh, the exact tables that it was placed on, and Be'ezras Hashem, tomorrow we will continue discussing the actual placement of the Shulchanah, what it means to the left and to the right, and we will see everybody tomorrow evening. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.